I was born with the devil in me. Could not help the fact that I was a murderer, no more than the poet can help the inspiration to sing. I was born with the evil one standing as my sponsor beside the bed where I was ushered into the world, and he has been with me since. to yet another fun-filled, wild episode of my favorite thing to do during my free time. This is, of course, my second self and I. I am, of course, Matt. The other voice you'll hear from time to time is Alex. He's our co-host. He's one of the many other voices in my head, and he's here to help keep things moving. First things first today, huge shout-out to everybody over at Podmoth Media. Thank you so much for inviting me to join the network. So far, the reception has been one of the warmest, most genuine things I've gotten to experience in a long time, and you'll be hard-pressed to find a more grateful guy. Truly excited to be here! And if you like my show, you'll love all the shows under their umbrella as well. I've listened to a couple episodes of most of them, and every one of them is well-produced, well-researched, and fucking hilarious. So if you're looking for a new show to go binge after this episode's over, go over to Podmoth. They're pretty cool over there. In this volume of Time Travel Tragedies, we're going back to pretty much the exact same time, but in some slightly different places. I think around eight of them, if I remember correctly. Today we're talking about H.H. Holmes, one of the many different names that comes up when you search for historical true crime or earliest serial killers or murders before 1900s. He's often credited with being America's first serial killer, a title that he shares with the Harp Brothers, Samuel Mason, Holmes, was the direct cause of one of the Harp brothers' capture. I don't know if Holmes in that context is a word. Madame Delphine Lollerie, kinda. Liv Reading Johnson, the Kentucky cannibal Boonhelm, Lydia Sherman, Wild Bill Longley, the Bloody Benders, the Kelly family was an entire household of killers, mother, father, and daughter team that killed 11 people, and a new contender that I've never heard of that I'll probably cover soon, Thomas Neal Cream was active in Chicago for a few years before, and then we get to H.H. Holmes. So, not the first, but among the first, and definitely one of the more well-known. I think the reason Holmes gets a lion's share of the credit for first serial killer is because of the mystery surrounding his story. A mystery that leaves you with a lot more questions than there are answers, and some of those questions I intend to attempt to answer today are, did Holmes pay someone to take his place at the execution and escape death? Was the quote murder castle really as elaborate and disgusting as most sources will tell you? How many people do you really kill? And one we all want to know, was he actually just Jack the Ripper fresh off the boat from Whitechapel looking for fresh start and less scrutiny? Well, I'd love to tell you all about it, but we are just out of time for today. That'll have to be a part two for next week. Bye, everybody! Just kidding. But that should give you an idea of what to expect here. This is a comedy show, and this is also absolutely a true story. None of the facts here are going to be made up. People died, scams were attempted, things were done. We can't change that. What I can change is how the story is told. I like to experiment with different voices if you haven't figured that out by now. I make jokes, I make up a lot of my own ads just for fun. I swear a lot, I'm kind of loud, try to keep the energy high because I feel like it's more entertaining this way. At least for me it is, which hopefully translates to more fun for you. By the way, 
If you listened last week, you'll be happy to know that I found my sock. So <laughs> without any further stalling, what do you say we talk about this guy and his crazy life, huh? If you're confused right now, go listen to the Lizzie Borden episode and come back. Well, his crazy life began in 1861 on May 16th up in Gilmanton, New Hampshire. He was actually born as Herman Webster Mudgett and wouldn't change his name until much later. As you'll see, though, he is a busy guy. He's always working towards something, an attitude he likely adopted from his hard-working father, Levi Horton Mudgett, and his mother, Theodate Page Price. They were hardy, church-going farmers whose families helped build this country when we first arrived in the New World which is very interesting to think about. The, the murders happened about 120 years ago, but there's almost 300 years of American history before that. Like, time is crazy. It's a difficult concept to grasp, I guess. Young Mr. Mudgett, the little Herman, humble Henry, you could call him, was also a very gifted and intelligent child and admittedly quite the curious specimen. Look, he's been dead for 120 years at this point. Whatever is left of him would be classified as a specimen. It seems like the Wee Webster is also following the usual pattern that we see in the early development of serial killers from modern times. He was bullied a lot, probably because he's a nerdy little dork. And I don't think he liked that very much because he took his frustrations and anger out on small animals and also other kids. At some point, he began to develop an interest in medicine, and that seemed to fuel his motivation to practice surgery on whatever little chipmunk or rat or squirrel type thing he could get his hands on. Actually, those might be kind of hard to catch. Maybe a cat or a dog, probably. It doesn't say what kind of animal anywhere that I've seen. Oh, maybe it was a pheasant. I also can't seem to find any more about this. He may have been responsible for the death of one of his friends? That's literally the only detail I can find about it, but that just that it may have happened. Nothing about who it was, nothing about what happened, or anything else that would be helpful. It sounds like that's probably something I'd be able to find in an actual book somewhere, but I'm a broke bitch. If you're not one of those and don't want me to be anymore either, there's something for you to do over at paypal.com slash mySecondSelf and I. Now that my shameless self-plug is out of the way, we're pretty much done with his early life. Decent parents, privileged upbringing, shitty friends, interest in medicine, highly intelligent, and not shy about his, let's say, alternative interests. The Tiny Terror is all grown up now and graduated high school at the age of 16 in 1877. And he moved away and got a teaching job, married his first wife Clara Lovering, who came from money, in 1878. That's how he gets the next part paid for. In 1879, he enrolls in University of Vermont at age 18. Then he has a son in 1880. Then in 1881, he drops out of University of Vermont, probably because of baby-related stuff. 1882, he's back in school, this time at the University of Michigan's Department of Medicine and Surgery. While he's there, he worked in the anatomy lab, and at some point began working closely with Dr. Nahum White, a noted dissection enthusiast and expert. If it didn't start earlier in life with the animals, his, quote, passion for dissection likely began right there. That'd be a weird thing to have a passion for. I just love dissecting things. He also began his career as a swindler around this time. I don't think this would still work today, but he stole a bunch of corpses, burned and disfigured them to make them look like they were in an accident, and then collected on the insurance payout. And I have to admit, that's kind of an ingenious scam. I mean, they're already dead anyway. He's just capitalizing on an open market, that's all. Plus, I mean, the bodies are, like, they're right there, so how could he not? 
it's a brutal world out there. Sometimes you gotta make a buck. Really? Only me. Okay, fine. But seriously, I'm gonna go ahead and say don't try this stuff at home. Probably not gonna work out any better for you than how it worked out for Mr. Holmes. Spoiler alert, it didn't end great for him. Another thing that happened in 1884, Clara left his abusive ass. Other housemates noted that he'd been acting very violent and aggressive toward Clara, so she took the kids and bolted back to New Hampshire never to see his ass again. Bye, Clara. That had to have hit him pretty hard. Breakups are never fun, are they? But you know what you do? You pick yourself back up, and you start over, and you try again. For him, it's in Moores Fork, New York, which just makes me think of a bunch of cows standing in the middle of a forest in front of a guy with a decision to make. I also like that it rhymes, Moores Fork, New York. I don't like that while he was there, he was spotted with a little boy that later went missing. I also don't like that there wasn't an investigation, and I really don't like that he left town shortly after that. But I do like Shepherd's Pie. More specifically, the little life story section before you get to the recipe, I personally loved that part. That person took the time to write out why that dish is special to them and why we should assimilate it into our weekly dinner rotation. It's a core part of that person's personality, and it really just makes me hungry having to read all that, and I am obviously just kidding. Just give me the ingredients. I'll figure it out. <laughs> Sometimes I do read it, though. Every now and then there's a decent little nugget of something buried in there. Not often, though. So he dipped out shortly after that. Kind of makes me think he may have had something to do with it. He said later that the boy went back home to Massachusetts, but those cows over in Moore's Fork said to go left, which is the opposite direction from Massachusetts. So I don't know what to think here. Next up, he gets a job in Philly as a keeper at a hospital, but quits after only two days. Couldn't hack it. Then he says, you know what I need to try? Drugs. So he gets a job at the pharmacy. This kind of reminds me of Janine Jones a little bit. You know, they, this guy just shows up and shit starts going down. Not long after he began working there, a little boy died after taking some medicine purchased at the pharmacy. Holmes denies this, of course, and leaves town another couple of days later. I, I guess Philly isn't for everyone. This man has had a really busy life so far. He's like 25 right now, and he's already graduated medical school, gotten married, had a kid, maybe killed two kids, lived in uh, four different states, and now in 1886, fuck it, what, why not? Let's get married again, this time in Minneapolis. That's the fourth state, the others being New York, New Hampshire, and Pennsylvania. What happened to the other wife? Divorce papers were filed, but for whatever reason, it was never finalized. She may have never even received them, so when he gets married to Myrta Belknap in 86, he has Two wives! Hey, how come he gets to have two? Yeah, we don't even have one! Jerk. Yeah, and your hat is dumb. Well, Mr. Dumb Hat is living with his new wife in Minneapolis, and they do at some point have a daughter, but there's only so much Minnesota you can see in one lifetime, so... They pack up, move back to Wilmette, Illinois. By now, probably to avoid scrutiny for all his insurance scams all over the Midwest, don't you know, he has now began calling himself Henry Howard Holmes. He is no longer... Herman Webster Mudgett. Yeah, I'd say that's a little bit more flowy. Rolls off the tongue a little bit better. And Henry Howard Holmes, Triple H, is spending quite a bit of time up in Chicago. What's he doing there? Building a torture castle! Not really. Well, not yet. But he is working at the place across the street from the lot that would later be his alleged torture hotel. Keyword on that is alleged. Allegedly. He's working at another pharmacy in Inglewood, South Wallace and West 63rd, what up Chicago? 
I don't know. It, was, it wasn't long after he began working there that he purchased the lot across the street and began construction. He's still busy AF too. It's only 87 now, 1887. So he's like 26 and has done so much shit already. The plan for the building was to rent out the first floor as a set of business suites, including a new drugstore because competition was a driving force in those days, kind of still is, and then to have apartments on the second floor. Okay, so I'm not exactly sure how he pulled this off, but he had to have born with a fucking silver tongue or something. He was sued in 88, add that one to the list, for not paying the contractors, but for some reason they just kept building. He'd switch companies to a different contractor until it came time to pay, and then he'd switch again. And he eventually just repeated that until he somehow got a completed building that he never paid one penny for. That is a much better scam than the cadaver one from earlier. It's also much less gross. It's thought that he switched companies so often so that he could claim bad worksmanship or shoddy quality, and that he also didn't want people to know what he was doing with the building, just constantly keeping people confused. Watch my right hand really quickly. Check this out. See my finger? Huh? See this? Follow with your eyes, not your head, and then POW! Next thing you know, you're peeling his other hand off your face because he just slapped you with it. By 1891, the castle was complete and Holmes had already started with the weird creep shit. He took out ads in the paper offering lodging to young women, put ads for himself claiming to be a wealthy man looking for a wife, and all of his employees, this is weird, including some of his hotel guests and their fiancés and wives, all had to have life insurance policies with Holmes as the beneficiary. Basically, if you had anything to do with this building, Holmes stood to literally profit off your future corpse. I don't give a shit how much you're paying me for or how nice your amenities are. I'm not signing that contract. No fucking way. Hold on a minute, though. I want to go back for a second. A personal ad from 1891. What do you think that might look like? My dearest Pookie would preferably be between 18 and 37 years of age and be open to having fun. She will be fond of the finer things in life, which will not be a problem, as you know I am a wealthy individual. She will also be curious about how the human body works, much like myself. It's fine if she likes other things too, but she must not have any ties to any insurance company. As for myself, I am witty, intelligent, a very hard worker, and I'm not shy around a well-groomed pair of lips either. Please attach a photo when you respond to this, preferably one of you in a suggested pose, possibly next to a science experiment of some kind. My tastes are a little unorthodox, but I think we could make some sparks and light the fires of eternity if you'd only give me a chance. I read a ton of actual local classified personal ads to get inspiration to write that bit, and let me tell you, those men on there are fucking gross. Most of them have terrible grammar, and the ones that don't are already married and just trying to cheat on their wives because they're already in a sexless marriage. Just, what are you doing, bro? Just go fuck your wife. I, it's... I don't know how many times I said that when I read those yesterday. You should look up the local classified ads in your area and just read them one day. That's a gold mine of just what the fuckery. <laughs> I guess whatever ad he actually put in the paper must have worked for him and he must have had some tight game to pull this next move off. He hires a man named Alex Connor, uh, not you, to work as the bookkeeper at the jewelry counter. 
While Alex is toiling away downstairs, Holmes is busy whispering sweet nothings into Julia's ear upstairs. That's Alex's wife. So he has two wives and another guy's wife? It's not fair, damn it. <laughs> We're fine, we promise. It doesn't take long for Alex to find out, though. I mean, they're right upstairs. And he packs up his shit and moves away, leaving behind Julia and their kid. Now what do you think's gonna happen next? Disney World? Exactly. Around Christmas time... What? Never mind. Around Christmas time, Julia and her daughter Pearl go missing. Holmes later said that she died during an abortion, but yet again, there was no investigation. These two may have been his first murders, but I don't know, man. I think he might have had something to do with those little boys from earlier, so I don't know about that one. That's another thing I see a lot while researching these stories. So many times the police just don't investigate shit. Like, it's gotten a lot better since this story happened, but still comes up from time to time. 1892 comes around, and Holmes has an idea for another scheme. This one elevated quite a bit higher than the rest, as it involved adding a third floor onto the hotel. He tried to swindle and stall and all the same shit as before, but somebody noticed... You know all those little hidden rooms that you've heard were full of murderous torture equipment in this supposed murder castle? Yeah, it turns out Holmes was just hiding all of the building supplies in there to try and stall the contractors and fraud them. Which, of course made the news because there's a lot of people working on this house, somebody's gonna see that shit, and then the building was never completed, everybody involved in the project caught wind of the swindle and pulled out, and then he probably got sued a lot. I'm starting to question that highly intelligent claim from earlier in his childhood. Like, dude, you have an entire crew of people literally building your house. You don't think somebody on that crew is going to notice the extra rooms? Or, you know, maybe have the blueprint? Maybe that hat made him dumb. Was this, bef like, was hats still turning people crazy around this time because all the mercury, was that still, or was that before now? Did they figure that out yet by then? Maybe it was his hat that made him dumb. I'm going to lean on that and not research it until after. Whether it was because of the hat or because he got caught, something made him quite angry. He spent all this time crafting the perfect scheme to con some construction workers into building him a hotel completely for free, and now the jig is up. He could have been rich. He could have taken so much money from the people that would have stayed at his hotel in the Chicago World's Fair. But no, not anymore. His dreams are dead, and it's thought that also the next two people I mentioned by name are as well. Emmeline Sagrand and Edna Von Tassel both disappeared from the neighborhood right around this time. Could it have been Holmes? Hold on, though. The first two maybe victims were two little boys, then a mother and daughter, and now two random girls with seemingly no connection to each other other than the fact that they live close to each other? I mean, I guess if we ignore the two boys in the beginning, it still makes sense. Like, usually there's... Usually killers have a type, and he doesn't seem to have a type, and that's weird, but, I mean, whatever. I don't know. This guy's confusing. It gets hard managing all of those schemes by yourself for so long, though. It starts to get heavy. Kind of lonely, maybe. Whatever's going through Holmes' mind, he needs a friend, and he finds that friend in Benjamin Petizel, whom is an alcoholic swindler and criminal. Perfect! It's a match made in heaven. And for the first half of 1893, those two were working on a wild scheme, an elaborate and also very tragic switcheroo, if you will. Holmes hires a young lady named Minnie Williams. She was an aspiring actress, just like me, trying to make something happen when she met Holmes. Acting doesn't quite pay the bills yet, though, so she takes a job with him as his personal secretary. I don't know if he hired her for this or if he found out later, but wouldn't you know it, she just happened to own some property down there over in Fort Worth. 
and I'm not sure how he did this, but he convinces this poor woman to sign the deed over to him, probably as collateral for an insurance policy or some shit like that. Who knows with this guy? Stop being confusing, sir! Then in May of that year, the two of them get fake married for the purposes of getting a real apartment in Chicago. What I mean is, they told them they were married so that they could get an apartment. Sure, that seems believable. Who am I to deny this lovely young couple the keys to their new home? They've got young to spawn! But if he's gonna be fake married, maybe he told them they'd get married after they get the apartment. But if he's gonna be fake married, he might as well play the part for real and meet the family, right? Maybe that's what Minnie told him because in July, her sister Nanny comes to visit. Hooray, sister day, let's get our toes done! I am long overdue for a pedicure, paypal.com slash my second self and I. But Minnie and Nanny, they just, they just tried so hard and got so far, but in the end, it just didn't even matter. They were never seen after July 5th, and the apartment was in Lincoln Park. I couldn't not make a reference after last week's nonsense. Despite the building being unfinished, Holmes opens it up to visitors for the Chicago World's Fair in 1893, which would span from May all the way to holy cow, October six months later. Six months of fair-related stuff. That is so many corn dogs and so much funnel cake and so much cotton candy just thrown away because people find out what it really is and then don't finish it because it's so filling and so fattening. Well, Holmes took complete advantage of all the tourists that would have been swarming from all over just dying to get that funnel cake. He took out more ads in the newspaper and called his castle the World's Fair Hotel. The ads and the fact that this hotel was only a few blocks from the fairgrounds made it a pretty easy sell for most patrons, many of which likely had a run-in with Holmes and didn't survive. He also trolled the fairgrounds with the Petizel children and used his serial killer charm that we've talked about many times to lure women away and back to his spooky castle. Not confirmed to be him, but somewhere around 50 people were reported missing during this time and traced back to the hotel, just Super Saiyan. But you know, you can only have so much funnel cake at the fair before you just want to fucking go home. Maybe if we leave now, we can beat the traffic. Ah, oh, but then there's always still traffic. I miss my bed! So in August, he hatches another idea. The fair's almost over anyway, and he's had his fun, so when the top floor of his building catches fire that month, the four insurance companies, four insurance companies he'd taken policies out on must have been just as suspicious as we are right now. Four insurance companies. They didn't pay, and in fact, sued his ass. So fast forward to July of 1894, he bails out of Chicago since the insurance companies are pushing down on me. He's under a lot of pressure from the ongoing arson investigation. I don't think I need to tell you that song. Want to guess where he goes? I'll give you a chance here. This is for my mom when she listens. She loves guessing games. I mentioned it a little bit earlier. Three, two... One. Down there in Fort Worth. Hope you got that one in time. Except, uh, he didn't make it there because he got arrested in St. Louis. Got arrested in St. Louis. Never gone back again. Oh yeah, turns out my brother is a bastard and just went to Six Flags in St. Louis and didn't bring me back a funnel cake. Thanks, bro. While in jail in St. Louis, Holmes, not my brother, he meets a man named Marion Hedgepeth. I love these old-timey names. They try to concoct a, quote, fake-my-own-death scheme with some other insurance companies, but they are immediately suspicious of Holmes. He's probably a known name by now to several different entities. But I want to talk about the Hedgepeth for a second, namely, why his name had a hyperlink and why he's in that jail. 
This is the kind of thing I love finding when I read stories from this era. He was known as the, quote, debonair bandit or handsome bandit. And he definitely was. He was a handsome guy. But he was also a career criminal and swindler, just like our boy Holmes over here. And he ended up joining the Sly Wilson game. If you've been a fan of the show for the last year, you know that I love it when I come across just names, interesting names, and I, <laughs> I swear these men's names. Adelbert Denton Sly, nickname of Birdie. James Francis, his nickname is Illinois Jimmy, he's from Montana, and his nickname is more syllables than his real name. I don't understand. And of course, Lucius Wilson, coolest real name of the group, but arguably the worst nickname of the four because they call him Dink. So the handsome squid, handsome bandit is in jail for 25 years because he, Birdie, Illinois Jimmy, and don't forget Dink. I think you have to say his name in all caps. Dink. They robbed a fucking train for $40,000 in old timey money, blew it up with dynamite, got away with it for three months, then got tracked down and probably their collective asses whooped by the Pinkertons. How fucking amazing is that? Okay, we'll get back to Holmes now. I just couldn't not talk about that part. Holmes is pretty busy too, though. He's been working with Petizel on another fake my own death scheme. He likes those lately. The plan was for Petizel to pose as an inventor in Philly and then be, quote, killed and disfigured in a lab explosion. But that's kind of a lot of extra work, considering he'd already taken the policy out in Petizel's name anyway, so... Holmes knocks him out with chloroform and then sets the place on fire, murdering him, and collects on the genuine corpse without technically having scammed them, sorta? I mean, I, he did murder a guy, but as far as the insurance company goes, it looks like it's all good on paper. Charred body, found in a strange position, rags and chloroform bottles everywhere, no signs of a struggle. Gentlemen, I'd say we're looking at death by lab explosion. But there's no lab equipment. Poppy Dash and Baldercock, you don't need equipment to do science. Science is all around us. Science is in the hearts of every man, woman, and child. Science knows all and sees all. Science loves you. Not really. Science doesn't give a shit about you. And Holmes definitely didn't give a shit about Petizel or any of the other people he murdered, probably in similar ways. Now, there's the matter of what to do with the rest of Benjamin's family. He had a wife and five kids. And Holmes somehow got his wife to give him custody of three of them. Seriously not sure how that worked out. But he kind of just went off with those three kids and moved around the Northeast and a bit of Canada for a little while, and anytime Miss Petizel would ask, he would just say that Benjamin's over there in London. Then he starts to slip up a bit right around here. He's starting to get sloppy like we like to see. Means he's probably gonna get caught soon, because he did kill two of those kids in Toronto. Uh, he locked the girls in a trunk with air holes, drilled into it, pumped it full of gas, and buried it in the basement of a rent house. What in the ever-loving fuck, man? Jesus Christ. However, there is a stroke of luck in the air, a whiff of justice on the breeze. A detective has been following Mr. Holmes and discovered the trunk in the basement shortly after Holmes dipped out of town. Again, he loves dipping out of town. He was on his way to a cottage in Indianapolis to... Uh, dispose of the other child. This one he poisoned, chopped up, and then burned in the chimney, which left behind lots of evidence. Why? Because you can't burn a body in a normal chimney! Jesus, how many times have we had to say that on this show? Also, I keep having to remind myself that this was from like 120 years ago. 
I usually do way more recent stuff and it's crazy to see how this is following the exact same pattern of type store you'd find today. Well, I mean, okay, minus the whole blowing up a train with dynamite part, but we largely seem to be the same back then as we are now. And an unfortunate number of us are capable of some truly disturbing things. Alright, I quit. Alex, this is really going to piss you off. Um, January 1894 comes around and Holmes says, You know what? I'd sure love to get married again. Stop it right now. Yep. He gets married a third time, still technically married to Clara and Myrta. God damn it, what are we doing wrong? I seriously have no idea. Georgina Rowe fell head over heels in love with this man the moment she saw him. And I mean, I guess, yeah, who could blame her? He's accomplished so much at this point in his life. But wedded bliss in Colorado would only last a few short months. That's seven states now, I think. New Hampshire, New York, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Indiana, Minnesota, and now Colorado. Maybe eight if you count Texas, but I don't want that guy coming here. We have enough problems right now with the offensive heat. Sorry, if you live here, you get it. And do you remember our old buddy, the handsome bandit? And Dink? Dinks. Not here, man. Well, handsome Squidward wasn't happy about the fake-my-own-death scheme not working out, so he betrays Holmes, gives him up to the Pinkertons who find him in Massachusetts, and if what I remember about the Pinkertons is correct, probably whoops his ass again, and he's finally arrested on November 17th in 1894. Oh, Massachusetts. I guess it was eight states. Uh, okay. He's fucking 33 years old right now. That's about how old I am, and I've accomplished so much less than this guy. I've never even come close to blowing up a train. But seriously, he's lived in eight states, blown up a train, killed several people, the real number's still up for debate, scammed every person he's ever come across. He's also a medical doctor, don't- Wait a minute! A doctor blew up a train! That has to be the name of this episode. Fucking- okay, that's for sure happening now. <laughs> a doctor blew up a train, holy shit. Now, his story's changed quite a lot over the course of his incarceration, sometimes claiming up to 200 victims, but finally settling somewhere in the ballpark of around 28 or 29 victims. He has also, as a master manipulator, told lots of different accounts of his upbringing and credentials, including being possessed by Stan... Who? Wait. God damn it, who put me in charge of this show? By Satan! There we go. But I don't think he was. By the way, that quote in the beginning, uh, he also didn't say that. It was made up later on, and it just made for some good ratings, so people went with it. Plus, it was a good excuse to experiment with my voice, so just take that for what it is. But what I really want to know is... Are you going to go my way? Yes, Lenny Kravitz, I will go your way. As long as that way is over to Mr. Dumb Hat's castle, because I want to talk about this guy's house. Lower the drawbridge. We've arrived at the Castle Von Doom. On the ground floor, you'll see all manner of curio shops and services, ranging from the humble blacksmith, a jewelry store, a barber shop, a pharmacy, and a restaurant, serving nothing but the finest for Chicago's finest. Adjust your gaze skyward toward the top floor, and you will see a winding maze of 35 windowless rooms whose purpose was unclear even to those who built these atrocities. Some rooms had peepholes, others had gas holes, and others had stair holes, an entire staircase that leads to a door to nowhere. What madness is this? Now, come with me down to the crematorium in the basement and we will witness the- Oh my god, what is all of this? We- what? Jesus, what, are those surgical tools and bones? There's just cadavers everywhere! What, oh my god, what is that on the operating table? Is that a spleen? What is under the sheet? Oh my god. 
Is that a torture wreck? We have made a grave mistake coming here. We have to go at once, right now. About this castle, guys, I'm not certain how much of that's actually true. I've heard those things attributed to this house before, but I'm not sure many of them were actually part of the house. We'll go over that later on, but for now, we're gonna fast forward to trial time. He acted as his own attorney, which surely is what landed him the death penalty. I find myself guilty, Your Honor. Take me away. I sentence me to death. Interestingly, he was only charged with the murder of Petizel. I guess there wasn't enough physical evidence for the other maybe 30 to 200-ish murders. I don't know. Either way, they hang him on that day. What day? Did I say what day? I forgot to include what day. I think it was May 16th. I'll check in a minute. But as with so many other things in his life, it just can't go smoothly. Instead of the rope snapping his neck like they want, it didn't do that. And he swung there for like 20 minutes slowly dying. And then just as one final fuck you to everybody, he demanded that his coffin be encased in concrete and then buried 10 feet deep. Apparently, he was afraid of the grave robbers looting his corpse. Talk about the pot calling the kettle black. It was actually on May 7th, so I was pretty close. Can't believe I forgot to include that little detail. Jesus, who put me in charge? Mr. Dumb Hat may be dead, or maybe not. Ooh. No, he's dead. But I do still have some questions that I want answered, damn it. I don't know why I didn't think of adding this segment earlier. Let's address some common misconceptions about H.H. Holmes, starting with that damn house castle. So was it really an elaborate murder maze full of traps and pokey things? Most sources say, uh, no. Seems like that was another case of rampant yellow journalism used to sell papers. In reality, it was just a couple of storefronts on bottom and a couple more apartments on top. Most of the confusion lies in his attempt to add a third floor onto it, but if you remember, it was never completed because he's a dirty dumb hat wearing liar. They did find some quicklime and a big gas tank in the basement, so he might have planned on disposing bodies, but just never got around to it. I think some of the stuff in the basement really does seem plausible though. The torture board that he called the, quote, elasticity determinator. <laughs> it's like one of those things you see that like stretches people out, like if someone's gonna get drawn and quartered. But it, to me, it just sounds like a Professor Frank invention, like the monsterometer or the frog exaggerator. Thank you, Semi-Skeptic, for sharing that meme on your page the other day and reminding me about Frank's crazy inventions. Question number two, how many people did he really kill? Probably for sure at least nine, but he was such a gifted liar and swindler, I love that word, that we'll never know the real number. I mean, even some of the people he confessed to killing were still alive at the time. What if one of those people was just in the other room, like, I'm right here, man. What are you talking about? He did confess to around 28 or 29 murders and was actually paid around $7,500 in old-timey money, which is around $216,000 in new-timey money, but most of it was just lies. Which, yeah, that makes sense. If you incentivize a confession to a guy like this, he's gonna tell you $7,500 worth of bullshit to make it sound like he earned that much money. Once a swindler, always a swindler, I guess. Question three, can't believe this is a real question. Did he actually fake his own death at his execution? Fuck no he didn't. He swung there for 20 minutes and was encased in concrete. However, somebody got sus enough to check it out for real, that person being his great-grandson, Jeff. They dug up his grave in, I think, 2017? I found an article from September of 2017. It mentions that his body was exhumed in April, so I'm going with that. Well, it turns out that this wild theory was just that, a theory. 
and not a good one. The idea was that he somehow paid a lookalike to take his place on the gallows and whisked himself away to South America or some other faraway place. Forensic testing shows that it's for sure him under all that concrete they had to dig up. The body also only had one molar, which matches Holmes' dental records. And finally, last question, was he actually Jack the Ripper? This theory is actually fronted by Holmes' great-great-grandson, Jeff Mudgett. Again, here he is. And this theory is pretty fucking crazy. Supposedly, Holmes was killing people over in London to distract from his own murders in the States, which were done to collect ovaries from rich women so he could live longer. This is why I don't want to be a broke bitch anymore. I want to read all these books that these things are in. They sound so much fun to read through. I guess wealthy ovaries are the 1890s equivalent of adrenochrome. What? I think this is just another crazy theory that pops up from time to time to generate book sales. Kind of like Lizzie Borden being a murderous lesbian last week. That theory didn't come up till much later on either. Gotta say though, it works. I want to buy that book. So... There weren't any ship's records of anybody going or coming to or from England. The motivations are completely different. We just talked about Holmes' insane life, and at no point in that story did there sound like he had time to run away to England for any amount of time. So I'm going to say, uh, no, he was not Jack the Ripper. Maybe you could argue that he paid a lookalike or used a fake name, but you know he wasn't shy about using an alias, but again, just not enough to prove it. Also, a lot of men from this era look really similar, bowler hat, tweedly mustache, three-piece suit, you know the guy. And finally, question number five, I lied, there's one more. Why haven't you reviewed this show or given me a five-star rating yet? Huh? I just told you that whole story for free. It's the least you could do. But seriously, I hope you all enjoyed my telling of that story. If you did, go over to whichever thing you listen on and click on some shit that has a positive impact on this show. Better yet, Leave me a review on iTunes, follow me on Instagram at Second Self Podcast, or TikTok at Second Self Pod. I'm still trying to get the 10 reviews over on iTunes, so help me out there if you could. Um, just tell me your pet's name. Go check out podmoth.network, too, if you want to see a bunch of other really cool shows produced by some really cool and talented people. If there's anything I missed or didn't get quite right, you can kindly let me know at the aforementioned Insta handle at Second Self Podcast. And I had an idea for something fun I think I can do on TikTok on my morning walk, so keep an eye out for that. Keep an eye out on TikTok. Maybe you'll see what I look like. Uh, the most common celebrity lookalike I get is the bad guy in Oven and the Chipmunks movie, so thank you, David Cross. Also, let me know if you need a stunt double. I'm pretty flexible. But that's all I have for you today. Next week's episode, I guess I'll probably go over Jack the Ripper since it's permanently tied to this case now, at least in the court of public opinion. Maybe I'll learn something else and change my mind about something. Anyway, as always, I'll see you next week, everybody. Make smart choices and stay kind. Bye!